Greetings and welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with my friend Morris Sachs. Good morning, Morris. Happy Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Happy Sunday. Yeah. Are you ready for the uh, Noah's Ark rings to arrive? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, apparently, uh, even with all of the rain, we're still in drought conditions here. Which, yeah, brutal. Uh, yeah. Um, my lawn's perfectly green, so I, I guess let them eat cake, as they say. <laughs> so how was your week? Oh, just fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yeah, hotter than hell. It's finally summer. Everyone is away on summer vacation. Um, yeah. It was yeah. a total throwaway week. Um, right. Anyone that went to the office this week and did anything productive is lying. Um, yeah, the whole world's on summer vacation. That's That's my read of the week. I'll tell you what. I love Greenwich when all the rich people get up and go to Long Island. It's it's fucking awesome. I don't <laughs> This is one of the great unsolved mysteries. Yeah, there's one, <laughs> multiple days this week I said, "Wow." I said, "There's no commute on the morning. The the morning in is a ghost town and there's there's parking spaces available all Parking time. spaces. Parking spaces. But no, schlep out. So what is it? Um route 27 east is yeah, that the one next yeah you, you pass by the hampton bays and yeah. then you get to buy hundred dollar a pound lobster salad incredible right. yeah can't get enough can't get enough um i uh i must have an inner ear infection or something because my balance is a little bit off and uh Dude, so I've been doing a little PT. I dealt, I dealt with that. I went to Greenwich Hospital at Christmas, remember? Dude, don't fuck around. I blew out my eardrum and I went to your guy and your guy fixed me. Well, Dr. Uh, Feldman? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you were in a, at another one of my doctors this week. I got a little inside right. baseball. We won't talk about that. But... I, won't, I, won't I won't say anything, but let me just say, once again, you, you have graced me, okay? <laughs> And I saw how the other half lives, okay, because I, okay, I see the doctor, and he says, you know, I said, I'm here for, you know, I got to get my thing looked at, and I said, my friend Morris Sachs sent me in. The doctor puts down the chart, okay, puts down the chart, and he says, Morris Sachs? And I, and I, <laughs> and I said, yes, I said, yes, Morris Sachs. And he goes, how do you know Morris Sachs? He looks like, how do you like, like I'm lying. Like I'm lying. I said, Oh no, I do. You know, he's a friend of mine. We've rode bikes for a long time. And, you know, we do a podcast together at this point. He sets his pen down and he says, I listen to your show. <laughs> <laughs> so now like, I'm, I'm like, you, you can't wipe the shit eating grin off of my face. Okay. But wait, there's more. So we do the we do the routine, the inspection, you know, the da 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 he shines the light in my ear, da da da. And then we're done. And you know how normally when you're done with a doctor, the doctor says, All right, you know, have a nice day. And, and he goes to his next room. He says, Follow me, Liam. Takes me to the receptionist. Okay. And he says, Lucy, this is Liam Allen. He's a VIP. He, I would like to schedule his next appointment for whenever he wants. Okay. <laughs> So Lucy, Lucy pushes her reading glasses up, looks at her computer, looks at me, looks me up and down. And I said, you heard the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then she she was she sighs like a tire going flat. She's like, ah. All right, rips open her appointment book, folds, flips through four pages, and she looks at me and goes, she says, I'm currently booking for the end of November, but I have August 17th available. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'll see you on August 17th. Doctor, have a lovely day. You have a lovely day. I'll be on my merry way. It was unbelievable. So you you once again have have opened many, many, many doors. Well, it's Uh, funny how the world works because I came to know that doctor through our Muni guys. No, and yeah, no, no, that's, that's the beauty of this whole thing. The, the scariest, darkest, gloomiest, riskiest portion of the bond market, the municipal bond market, one that if you venture in, it's, it's like the jungling wastes are not yeah. to be traveled lightly, right? right? Yep. Out of there, and and you're familiar with like Moby Dick, how they they catch the whale, and they dig in the head of the whale to get the amber grist, which is where the real value is. That's that's what you get in the muni bond market. You know, once you get down into the little, yes, you know the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's where the magic happens, and we have access to that, which is an unbelievable thing. So. That's um, incredible because that's very exciting also because Amy goes, how does Morris know him? And I said, I don't know. Powerful Jewish guys in Greenwich. They all know each other. I, they operate, they traffic in the same circles. And he said he had lunch with them recently. I said, they're clear, yeah. like, they clearly have a bond. But now it's over the Muni's. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's, it's funny how these things work. One of, one of the greatest moments of my life was, I, I don't know how old middle daughter was. Let's say she's 12. And some, she's got a play date and the father's bringing the play date over. And I, um, greet the, the father and I said, hi, I'm, I'm Morris Sachs. And he pauses and he says, the Morris Sachs. <laughs> and the middle daughter hears this and I'm looking around like, like, is there another? Right. <laughs> but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. It was one of those moments you kind of like wish you could bottle. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, um, I don't know what we're gonna... don't mess around no. with that ear though. Don't mess around with that ear, dude. That that no, I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. I, I'm sure they'll give me some antibiotic. It'll fuck my stomach up for nine months, and uh, I'll be fine. But uh, you know, it's just one of these lessons. So I think I'm 63. Mm-hmm. I think okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm discovering in real time how much getting older sucks allow me to give you a simple example so last night uh the webmistress of ibwak is in town and cheryl and i decide we're going to watch a movie so we're going to watch <clears throat> raiders of the lost ark hey, really? okay so anyway uh i go to Amazon Prime on my smart TV, okay? And I'm like, I know enough to know that we're not going to make it through the whole thing, right? We're going to fall asleep. So I, I buy it. Buy it. So I, so I buy it. And then um, before I hit play, I realized I didn't bring my pint of ice cream with me. So I Ten minute put the walk. remote. I, Ten yeah, minute I walked yeah, I crawl to the kitchen. 
so now I come back and of course, Cheryl and the webmistress are jonesing to get the movie going. And now I got to go back to the smart TV and hit play. But I can't, now I can't find the fucking thing. Like I, I, I bought it on Amazon Prime. I go to Amazon Prime, nowhere to be found. Dude, I've had this problem. I've done this. Has happened to me. I've done this before a flight. I did this before a flight where I bought like the whole entire series of The Wire, the greatest show yeah. on television. And I got on my plane and I couldn't find it. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I don't. That's pretty much it. To talk about a guy that used to have a technology budget of five or $10 million a year. Now with a 27 inch TV, which they'll basically give you for free. Right. right. And I can't, I can't find a fucking movie. It's like, I, I, so yeah. anyway, after about 45 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, we found it. And so we watched 20 minutes of it and then we fell asleep at eight o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Movie time. <laughs> so all of those ads, when you were younger about old people shit and you're like oh that's disgusting well you're about nine years out well let, let, let's look on the bright side though like as you've as you've highlighted um you know the deafness again this really plays into your ear problem this this should really this should walk thank what? you <laughs> this should really augment your hearing disability which will again highlight the difficulties that you have getting old and you can listen to what you want not, you know well, well listen around this house i'm not so concerned about not hearing it's the balance like you know half the stuff goes in one ear and out the other to begin with mm -hmm. um but uh i gotta be careful walking down a flight of stairs which is you know for a guy that's climbed the matterhorn the tetons the, it's like i'm thinking about maybe I can, you know, put in a, a anchor and I can get my rope and I can get my belay device, my grigri, and I can wrap down the stairs. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really something. So uh, we had uh, surprisingly good feedback on uh, the, the chat we had last week talking about the... Uh, the failed attempt at the uh, biography. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering um, how you felt about maybe we kind of continued along in that vein. Um, th the reason I bring it up, number one is, you know, I'm very important and I'm sure people want to know all about me. Mm -hmm. um, but more realistic, realistically, uh, I'm certain you've read that book, Liar's Poker, by uh, Michael Lewis, right? So here's the difference, okay? You're talking about, in that book, a 20-something-year-old junior salesman watching the world go around him. And it's a bestseller, right? And, and it should be. I think, I think it's, a, it's a fun book, right? But now you got a guy i.e. me, that was where the sausage was being made. And so maybe that's part of why, you know, you won that uh, uh, produced, podcast producer of the year award. By the way, the celebration dinner tomorrow night where the award and 
the monetary award will be uh, 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 what's the word presented um, will be taking place in Greenwich. Although it's the place is a restaurant, but I don't think there's anything edible in Greenwich. So we'll just focus on the drinks. But uh, number figured, three restaurant in Greenwich. It says it's the number three restaurant in Greenwich. <laughs> yeah, number one McDonald's. Number number two Taco Bell. You know, you know, there's a Taco Bell on the Stanford Greenwich border. Yeah. Okay. So I've said this to my kids to much chagrin. I said, wouldn't it be fun to do the Taco Bell challenge? And they're like, what do you mean, Dad? I said, so here's how it would go. You'd go to and eat a Taco Bell, okay? And you'd see if you could make it to our house before you got to it. <laughs> like 13 minutes that's a that's a lot yeah. of, it's a long on on windy roads <laughs> no takers uh, the back no yeah um nobody liked my idea uh i had mentioned apparently um uh megan merkel i keep pronouncing you know the woman with the podcast former for yeah former how do you pronounce her name Merkel. Merkel. Mark. Yeah, I keep I keep being told I pronounced it incorrectly. Well, I, I'd apologize if I cared, but oh. nobody cares about that. I, I I I try out some of my material on the on the gang, and this one didn't fly. But I thought, you know, one possible podcast topic for her could be circumcised versus uncircumcised. <laughs> now, the, the problem there, as our webmistress points out, is that's really not our audience because mostly it's it's a male dominated um, uh, listener group. Um, but I mean, I don't know what else she has experience at um, that she could talk about as a podcaster. Very but little. Based on my guess, having a British husband and then being an actress in Los Angeles, <clears throat> she's been on the wrong end of a couple of those things. So. But uh, we proceed. The pot. Um, be amazed. I bet if she did that, the she would do an incredible number. Okay, Joe yeah. Rogan brings in these lunatics to talk about whatever. Dude, the more shock value, the more it, the more idiotic shit you say. Yeah. On the podcast, the so, better. So, so you think that's not a bad idea? I think that's a fantastic idea. Because Spotify should pitch it. Because I've even got episode number two, which is. <laughs> stop! Stop! stop, stop. Does, does, does garlic make semen taste funny? <laughs> Dude, if you get those, if you get those answers out of the princess, um, or at, you know, whatever, she, um, yeah, that would Spotify would do a number. Um, yeah. Dude, yeah, think about it. it's yeah. bread and circuses, dude. Like the distraction, the idiocy. Like she's she's a she's an idiot. You know, it's a plaything. Go look over there. Um, so we're gonna have Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg fight in the Coliseum. That's what. That's what. The- <laughs> we're doing here that's what that's what we've come to this is the end of days dude it is ugly out there <laughs> it, it, it is you know um cheryl uh i applaud has uh sold her air charter business and the check is cleared and i can't wait to get my pause greedy little pause on that cash and park it in a two-year note that I don't know what's the number. It's almost five percent, right? 
496. Yeah. I I noticed after we recommended the two year olds, they rallied like 10 30 seconds or something like that, just to mock me. But uh, in any event, I, I, I still, I don't know. It's that little two year old. You know, it's like a puppy dog. You just, I don't know how you can't love that thing. Um, but in, in any event, um, you know, there's this thing I've noticed when you hear the wackos who think like they've been born, pre, they had a previous life. They were somebody famous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I was like, oh, my previous life, I was Napoleon. I was Abraham. Okay. Well, I, along that vein, I think generally people think they have a unique, interesting life. And when I start to hear their story, I'm like, not so much, right? Um, but yet here we are, and and I fall into the camp of thinking I have had uh, a relatively unusual life. And the reason I thought we would try and pull on this a little bit, and please, I'm begging you, mm -hmm. if we go sideways, just give me the cut, and we'll play fish for the rest of the show. Yep. But I think that for me and my family history, I think it set me up in a unique position to do well as a trader. And so let's work on that a little bit and see how it goes. Fair enough? You start where I hope you start? Well, chapter one, I am born. No, um, I want to go. I want to go back. I want to go back. Yeah, yeah. So as as I've know. discovered, as I've discovered, you've done some do your own research, and I think uh, what you're referring to is my grandfather was uh, as things go in Chicago, relatively famous. So. Uh, it started out as a typical American success story. He came over on the boat from Lithuania in, you know, 1900, plus or minus. Didn't speak a word of English. Nobody there to pick him up at the dock. It ends up in New York. And somehow, some number of months later, he ends up in Chicago. And as far as I think... It went, he ended up living in the back of a butcher shop, kind of like yeah. sleeping on the floor, just that kind of thing. And somehow he started uh, a small business with a push cart on the street in this area of Chicago called Maxwell Street, which is where a lot of immigrants were. And, uh, selling uh actually i think irish linen to a lot of the immigrants and mm -hmm. um this is a, a point in time which i'd never realized how significant it was until i read the um the book uh the jungle by upton sinclair so that book talks about the slaughterhouses in chicago Mm -hmm. And this is a neighborhood that my grandfather and grandmother uh, grew up in. 
and um, I, I haven't uh, gotten the complete script from the writers. So I'm not going to be able to do this very succinctly, but basically that part of Chicago uh, was where a lot of Lithuanian Jews ended up. You know, uh, as you move further north, there would be Polish communities and and I'm not sure exactly where the Irish settled or the Italians settled, but, you know, because you had family or you had similar traditions, you, you would, you would congregate, right? So anyway, uh, here's my grandfather building a business and, um, he, he made a success of it. Now, you know, success is a relative thing. And, um, but, he became relatively well known. They at one point uh, had a couple of very large clothing stores, and you know he had a some gimmicks. Like for instance, if you were in the military and you just came back, he would you know uh, sell you your clothes, and you didn't have to either didn't have to pay, or you got like a year's free credit or something. And the next thing you know, he's advertising on WGN, which is a big radio station. They had a talent contest, which was very famous. I I have dozens of books of newspaper clippings of my father and my mother, like when the king and queen of England came to Chicago to visit, like my parents were there. Like I have the menus from those things, Way. and it, and so it it was uh, a, a, an atypical situation. But beneath all of this, the behavior, and I can't speak to my grandfather because he passed away the year before I was born. Mm-hmm. But I can speak to, and I'll I'll be pretty open about this stuff. Um, my father and my mother were were like I want to say they were like the kind of couple you would read in a Somerset Mom novel about people who always lived above their means, that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, growing up, my father and mother we moved out to Flossmoor, which was a southern suburb. Um, I think uh, the different class of Jews moved north to Highland Park, okay? And it, there's this whole splinter in, like, kind of the Jewish community that we may or may not have time to get to, depending. But um, so anyway, I, I grew up with this family that was well-known, um, and... Uh, lived above their means. And so growing up, you know, I went to public school, which out in Floss, one of the public schools were fine. But, you know, weird things would happen. So, for instance, I love telling a story how we'd go to the hockey game and he'd just park the car right in front of the front door. We'd just get out of the car, go watch the game, come back, car be, car be there. It's not like we parked in the parking lot or, and, you know, Chicago winters would be like 20 below. You, you got in the car, it was warm. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. and you, ne- you, you never saw anybody or, 
we would go to, uh, and it's still there, this famous restaurant called Gene and Giorgetti's, great steakhouse. Um, we would go and it would be like the sea party and me and my father and mother and younger brother would walk in and, you know, table 1A, we'd sit there and have dinner and, and, uh, you know, this to me was like normal. And, and, but, you know, when you're a kid, you know, I'm, I'm eight or whatever it is, you don't have a sense of like economics. At least, at least I didn't, I didn't realize like this is expensive. I thought this was just kind of how things roll. Right. And, um, you know, my parents belonged to a, a country club where, we would go and my brother and the sister and I, we'd play golf. They had a swimming pool. Okay. Country clubs out in the Midwest, very different. Like we could wear blue jeans on the golf course. We carried our own bag, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, very casual. Um, you had to follow etiquette on the golf course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like when we moved out here and uh, the only club that would admit Cheryl and I was Westchester, once again, wrong kind of Jew. I didn't realize that at the point, but I, Lithuanian Jews and German Jews, German Jews looked down upon Lithuanian Jews, apparently. And I know I'm not making this up because when we went to Israel two years ago, the guide told me about that we, we we so they're not making this up but but anyway um you know we come out here in westchester country club like you got to wear whites on the tennis court you know like like a baseball hat to play tennis. No, no none of that shit right no shorts no, no the whole thing and so this was like a whole new kind of experience to me but but that's really not the, the relevant part the relevant part is I'm growing up in a house in Flossmore, Illinois, where um, there's not enough money. And um, my mother, who I think was uh, six years younger than my father, legitimately mental illness. It was a constant battle. Every night he would come home, have three or four scotches, and she would just be haranguing him about you know, what a failure he was and he doesn't make enough money. And it just, you know, to be a kid in that environment, um, it it just was so weird because here we go to the best restaurants in Chicago where, like, my manners were, like, beaten into me. Like, if I used the wrong fucking knife or something, when I got home, I got, you know, I didn't make that mistake twice, right? That that sort of thing is is kind of a, I think a funny story as an aside. So, in the olden days, in the fancy restaurants, between courses, they would bring a little bowl with warm water and lemon, mm-hmm. and the first time they brought it to this fancy restaurant, I look at my mom and I'm like, I don't, I don't want lemon soup, you know, and they're, oh, aren't you cute, right? 
And they explained to me, you you put your fingers in it, you the lemon gets the okay. So fast forward fifteen years, twenty years, I'm down with Cheryl and a, a bunch of people at the Jersey Shore. Okay. And we're having shrimp and we're having lobster. And they set these little bowls with the lemon and the warm water. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So I, I stick my fingers in it and, and everyone looks at me and they're laughing hysterically. Like, what the fuck? And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm washing my hands. Yeah. What's this? No, no. You take the shrimp and then you clean the, like the sand. I'm like, great. Great, great. But wait, there's more. Fast forward like 10 more years. I'm in London. And now they bring the, the warm water with the lemon. Like, I don't know the shit or go blind. What am I going to do? <laughs> anyway, so this is growing up in a house where there wasn't enough money. And um, I, I, I'm really not in the frame yeah. of mind yeah. to talk about the 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 real dark stuff. I, I, I did allude to it a few episodes ago where I talked about was the soup hot or not. Well let's just say that was the uh, amuse bouche of what we had yep. growing up. So uh, anyway, the typical night would my father would come home, my mother would say, how was business? And my father would say, the weather was too nice, no one went shopping. The weather was too bad, no one went shopping. You know, the guy across the store was going out of business, he had a sale. So there's always something why business wasn't any good. And and even though I was 10 or 11, I'm like, you gotta find a way to make a living that doesn't rely on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you can't control whether people are going to come in and buy stuff from you. Right. Like, so, and as so happens, uh, again, I want to say I'm about 10 years old. My cousin, uh, who was basically my father's age, was a stockbroker at, at Merrill Lynch. And um, I, he and I got along famously. And which, you know, unfortunately, over the years, we've lost contact, which disappoints me. But nonetheless, um, he kind of very gently explained to me this the stock market. And um, I said, well, what, what's the deal? He goes, well, you know, you do all this research and you, you buy these stocks and then the stocks go up in value. And then um, you, you, you can make money that way. And I'm like, you mean if I can pick a stock and it goes up and I can sell it and I get to keep the profit? He's like, yeah, that's it. And I said, so I, I don't, I don't really need anybody else, right? I, I could just kind of do that on my own. He goes, well, yeah. He said, there's some people who do that, but you know, in his line of work, he was dealing with investors and longer term stuff. And back then, the commissions, of course, were very, very high. So the, the notion of a day trader outside of 
being a member of an exchange, people didn't do it, right? It just it just wasn't fun. So anyway, he gives me this book called How to Buy Stocks by Lewis Engel. And all I really remember about it was there was a whole section on bonds and preferred stock, which I didn't even bother because it was just, I'm, I'm 10 or 11, right? Yeah. But he talked about this company called Rod and Real Corporation as an example. And so this was one of my first real lessons. He said, so your broker would go down and he knew you wanted, he wanted, or you wanted him to buy stock in Rod and Real. But because you didn't want to tip your hand, you would go to the market makers. And instead of saying, I want to buy or I want to sell, you would say, where's Rod and Real? And they would give you a bid and an offer. So this was my first introduction into bid offer spread, which has since been bastardized by Russian uh, programmers front running everyone and Ken Griffith being the richest man in the world, but that's for another day. Um, so this this really sparked my my interest in, you know, this could be a potential way for me to uh, uh, achieve what I wanted, which is learn how to trade and make money. And then, you know, as time went on, um, I mentioned I was, uh, we, we played golf at a country club. Many of the members there traded at the Chicago Board of Trade. And so very similar to your meeting, our doctor friend, you know, I, 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 when I make an effort, I can be rather pleasant to speak to, and especially when I'm trying to get someone to do something for me. So I was always very, very polite and inquisitive. And and um, so uh, my cousin, Henry, who I mentioned, gave me a summer job uh, the summer before I went to college. At 135 South LaSalle, oddly enough, directly across the street from the Chicago Board Trade, which is 141 West Jackson. So one of my friends from camp had a, a summer job as a runner at the Board of Trade, and he invited me to come over one day to take a look. And, and they had the visitors gallery. And now you've seen pictures of the floor, right? So imagine being 19 and seeing it's like, I'm in, like, I am fucking, I am fucking in. And ultimately, because of um, knowing these guys from the country club, I was able to talk my way into getting a summer job at the floor where I got paid like a hundred bucks cash um, a week, which, you know, Fine. The, the the train ticket was a hundred bucks a month, so it wasn't like I was, you know, making out like a bandit. But the beauty was, every day after work, you go downstairs to sign of the trader, which was the bar restaurant, and the brokers would. So you know, every night I get hammered. There were a couple of nights like I slept past my stop, that sort of thing, right? Everyone's been happens. There. Everyone's yeah. been there. Um, but I but I but I loved it. 
and I'm like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. 16. And you're not even driving, right? I'm in that 16 to 19 age, right? Okay. Yep. So, you know, at this point, um, I said to the guy who was like the point guy, I, I want to do this. And back then, it could still be the case, but probably not. The older guys would stake the younger guys, meaning you needed like 25,000 bucks. So an older guy would set up an account with the 25 grand in. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't the usurious rate of interest or anything like that. It was just kind of how it worked. You know, it was like paying it forward. And that's where I got to meet Johnny Muso and Charlie D. And so as I was getting ready to go back to college to finish my senior year, the, the guy who was sort of leaving the charge said, look, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go one more year and get a graduate degree because that's all it was going to take me to get a graduate degree in accounting. And he said, then get a job at Continental Bank across the street where you'll, where you will learn the cash market. And then, and then come back. You'll know all about the cash market. You'll have your degree. So if things doesn't work out, you'll, you'll be fine, but you'll be a big success here. But that's how I'd like you to, to do it. And it all fit very nicely because so this is around the time I'm getting out of graduate school. Cheryl and I had met and were in a committed relationship. We met, we met in college and, um, I kind of had this master plan that if I could make, see if I can do the math right. I figured if I could make 10 ticks a week, that was $312 and 25 cents. Okay. And I think, um, anyway, I think it worked out to, I, th I thought I could maybe make 50 grand. I thought it was year. 54. 54, I thought. I remember these things. I think the I think you said 50. Yeah. I it could it could have been, you know, yeah. like I said, I, I'm a little off today. Yeah. But you know, um so I figured between that and Cheryl was working at Price Water, gonna be working at Price Waterhouse, and I'm like, between the two of us, we might be able to make like a hundred grand. And this is 1982, 1983, which I mean, not that a hundred grand is not a lot of money now, but we're talking 40 years ago, right? So million and, and we, it was, it was great. You know, I beautiful girlfriend, great relationship, living downtown. We used to take, we call it wish walks where we would walk down the street um, in Chicago called Astor street where they had these beautiful brownstones. And we were like, yeah, this is, this is this is the goal right and and, and so uh, you know um anyway i got the continental bank in the bond department and now i'm a kid in a candy store because it's not just standing all day yelling screaming trading one type of contract like 
I went through the training program and I learned like fucking everything. And there, it just had a little bit more professionalism. So it was a bank. So you, you had to wear a suit. Mm -hmm. um, but what I really liked about it was the traders had to be there the whole trading day. So they'd sit in front of these little green screens and they had lunch brought to them. Now, back then, like the six bucks a day for lunch, that yeah, that yeah. meant something, right? Ooh. So here's this thing where I can sit, I can trade, and I get free lunch. Yeah. So I'm like, pick me, right? Yeah. Um, so, so how does all of this sort of fit together? And I, I kind of jumped to the conclusion quicker than not. But, you know, when you talk about trading styles, um, what I found was that having this experience growing up where there was this constant pressure about not having enough money always led me to a couple things. One is stick to pretty straightforward things that I couldn't take massive losses on. If I lost money, it would be small. And then when I made money, you know, make sure you didn't lose it. And, and so that did a couple things. One is it clearly affected my trading behavior. So trades that I could understand weren't terribly complicated, very liquid. And um, then when we made money, got paid, we were, we were not cheap or frugal. In fact, I, you know, when I started getting bonuses, I was like every other slob you read about. But initially, we were we were prolific at saving money. Right. And as you've seen with your portfolio, you know, it, it over time it it grows. And um, so I think, you know, uh, there's way too much of my personal story in there. But if you cut to the chase, you know, how did I get to to, you know, be the Morris Sachs. It was that, you know, I had this internal pressure to make money, pressure not to lose money. And as I had mentioned about the hot versus cold soup, this was, you know, to steal that phrase from Pulp Fiction, it was not trading where you had to make a decision like it wasn't the first time i would look down the barrel of a gun right so i got i got quite quickly accustomed to making decisions and because of the anxiety literally anxiety of what would happen if we were broke i i we were big savers and uh, it, it showed its way in, in, in my training. And, um, you know, when, when Cheryl and I moved from New York to Chicago, excuse me, Chicago, New York, there is no like, safety net. Like, it wasn't like, hey, dad, can you send me 
five grand till payday or, you know, I mean, no, I, I yeah. love the story how I, I had dinner at Sparks Steakhouse one night. I don't know if I've told you this one, but, you know, we, as a trader, you would pay back then relatively large commissions. And so, you know, you wanted tickets to anything. You want to go to any restaurant, whatever, the whole thing. Um, you just pick up the phone and, and so I got invited to dinner at Spark Steakhouse, which was where that mafia guy got shot and killed. And this is right around that time, right? Um, but you know, we had this huge meal. The typical thing would there be like four guys, four steaks, and then the broker would say, lobster for the middle of the table so everyone could pick at it, right? And then massive Barolos. Mm-hmm. And so after dinner, I'd walk up to um, Third Avenue and I'd get it in a yellow cab and I'd look in my pocket and I had like $2 in a subway token. And I, I'm like, listen, I got to go to 90 between <laughs> 2nd and 3rd, but I got $2 in a subway token. Yeah. Just take me as far as, right? Because we're yeah. like in the 40s. And and I'm on the nineties, right? Yeah. So it, so in in an act of kindness, the guy took me home and I think I, you know, begged uh my roommate for a subway token to get to work and stuff like that. So I, you know, we were running in a pretty tight bed. Yeah. But you know, again to to perseverate, um this angst of the money right you know it wasn't it it, it it was real like i felt it all the time and fortunately i was in an industry where and 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 at a time where if you worked hard okay that was worth a lot like there were a lot of smart guys doing a lot of smart things, but there were a lot of blue collar guys doing a lot of blue collar things and making a great living. And, and, you know, I'd like to think I made the jump from the blue collar to the smart guy at, at some point. And, and there are elements, maybe we'll say that for another time, um, where I can point out examples of where I had epiphanies that did substantially increase my income. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of this was, you know, going in on Saturday and just digging through the sheets and looking at where stuff traded and trying to understand, you know, what does yield to maturity really mean? And what happens if you have a term repo versus an overnight repo? And it's an amazing business, which I think a lot of this is lost to history um, because, you know, it's that it's at Satan's bushel. And and if you haven't read it, the long and the short of it is this. There's two stories. There's a story of the guys in the soybean pit trading 5,000 bushels back and forth all day long. And then there's the story of the farmer who brings his cart with his 100 bushels 
And he negotiates with the grain elevator operator for an hour over what grade of soybean it is. And so, you know, for me, it was this opportunity to roll up my sleeves and learn about the nuts and bolts of the bond market, you know? And I, I, again, I, so much of the stuff in my life, uh, has been accomplished through brute force. Like I, I suspect you feel very similarly. Like one of the greatest achievements of my life was getting that Leadville buckle. Now I, I gotta tell you, there's guys we know they could go out and they could do it in six hours, not train, no big deal. I'm not one of those guys, right? I'm a mediocre athlete, but I was determined. And you, you, I think I've showed you this. I would drive up the Bear Mountain and I would ride up and down for six hours. Mm-hmm. Now, I would stop for five minutes occasionally to have like 24 ounces of coffee. And I had fish blaring in the earphones, but that, that wasn't like gifted. That was just beating yourself into submission. And, and ultimately, you know, we accomplished your training log, like your training plan, the detail that went into your training. I mean, every calorie, every like hour slept every pedal stroke on the bike for how many months out you probably six six or nine months yeah it it was it was it was a long time yeah dude you went you had a detailed highly detailed map and plan and you stuck to it uh yeah Yeah. Uh, and and as evidence it took me three times to get the fucking thing all right, so just quickly, quickly for all the listeners out there. All right, what was the first first one? What on your first Leadville attack? All right, so all right, let me oh, real third, quick. Third, yeah. Leadville yeah. is the race across the sky. It's a hundred miles at ten thousand feet up in the Rocky Mountains. It is the crown jewel of mountain biking bike races. Okay, if you if you ride a mountain bike in the world, you want to do Leadville. It's hard to get into. It's even harder to complete. If you complete it in under eight hours, you get a big belt buckle. And if you do it under 12 hours, you get a little belt buckle. If you finish under 12, they say, thanks for coming. You can try again next year. Year one, what was your result? It was like 13 hours and okay. eight minutes or something. Like that. 13 but hours. Okay, but I completed Complete. But you get nothing for that. You right. get you get nothing, right? And then year but two. That year yes. two. Twelve hours, zero minutes, and I don't know, thirty-six seconds or something like that. You were there. I was there. I was there. Yeah, Dude, I, less I than a minute. Thick. I I felt physically nauseous. I sat in that van, and I felt so sick for you. I just, dude, you were like. It's like you weren't there. Like you were just, it was just your body. And I remember sitting next to you in that van, driving back to Vail. And you were just kind of looking out the window, like it, like it hadn't processed. And you were like, it was like 23 or 32 seconds. And you were like, I'll send him an email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I asked for a minute race period. And she says, don't take so many selfies. And dude, and she was like, 
she was like, there were three people that were in front of you. That right. got- I know. Oh. I missed this buckle by like two seconds. Imagine the clock says 12.002. Sorry, pal. No buckle. Yeah. Right. I yeah. can't. Yeah. Then you went out yeah. and on the third. The cr- yeah. I think I was. Got it. Uh, 12 hours and. No, 11, minutes. 11.42, I thought. 11, I'm sorry, 11, yeah, something like that. Almost yeah, I, mean, I said, I, at one point, I was like, he's going to beat me. He's going to beat my time. I was watching. Well, but, so, uh, dude, yeah. that is a perfect fucking example. All right, dude, the most important aspect of that story is you hate mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> you don't enjoy any aspect of getting on a knobby bike tired and ripping through the woods i've called them a hundred times do you want to go mountain bike at greenwich absolutely not it's rocky i hate you want to go to stewart okay fine miserable never ask me again yeah. for that you it's just it's hilarious it just that's the, the people don't know it's like oh leadville he must he must be a great mountain biker i'm like he fucking hates mountain biking i, I, I hate it in fact I, i've been on the mountain bike thinking if i died i wanted my headstone to read at least he died doing something he hated. <laughs> so I lived to tell the tale, but and we won't refresh it now. But I had that whole debacle where I lost my iPhone, and the... I know. Anyway, I don't know. And then you didn't sell. I gave the bike to somebody else, which is just a crime against friendship. You should have given me that bike. You should have said, here. Oh, I'm so, well, I gave it. I'm to, done with this. I'm done with this. I'm giving it. You give me the calculator. What am I going to do with the calculator? <laughs> <laughs> I've given you a gift of fortune. I gave the mountain bike to, to and not, I didn't give. I know. I, know. I sold the mountain bike to Jason's son, Liam, Liam not because I wanted the money, which was not a lot. I just felt like he needed to have a little skin in the game. Totally. Great. And, That's and, absolutely. And the, the kids turned into quite a, a good mountain bike. And anyway, yep. that was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so I guess that's it, huh? Uh, no, because I want to go back. I want to go back and examine your grandfather. Can I go back? Because I thought one of the. Yeah, sure. Like, because, guys, you can go out and Google it. Just type in MB Sachs with the department store in Chicago. But one of the articles highlighted, you mentioned him about giving credit to the mil- military. But you, I think it was either you or one of the articles mentioned him giving credit to regular people, too. Oh, yeah. It was called Credit with a Smile, which, by the way, don't ask me for money. <laughs> <That was good. laughs> what a conflict of... <laughs> yeah, what a turn- turnaround. MB Sachs three versus MB Sachs credit with us. Yeah, well he he was in a higher margin business than I am, but yeah he 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 and that's why he was so well liked because you know I I think it was really more like this and I, not to to diminish the story, but I think a suit might cost him three bucks, retail was like six. Yep. Right. So if you put down three bucks, you could he'd loan you the rest, but he wasn't going to be out any money. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, nobody else was doing that. That's, right? that's my point. One hundred and twenty years ago for a guy to do that in Chicago, in a city where people could just vanish, you know, that in yeah. that the notion that he would extend credit in like that kind of goodwill to to the public. I mean, you could see why he, he why he was successful about it at that, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it, too bad it wasn't uh, more successful because it made my life a little easier. But you turned out. I, you get what I I I turned out fine. Yeah. I turned out. I turned out. So I don't know. I don't know if that beats liar poker, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Ah, because you can. You, there's a million more things. Like, I mean, that's just like the beginning of it. We've only, you've only got, we've only gotten you to Continental Bank. I've got like, I need to know, like, how many years did you work at Seabot? Like, how long, how long were you in there? Uh, off and on for maybe eighteen months because I was doing summer jobs. Yeah. Right. So, like, if we, because keep in mind, like, I didn't have any extra spending money. We had Cheryl and I both had jobs in college, so. If I was going to be off for spring break, I'd just go to the, the floor because they, the full-time people could get their vacation because I would come in and, and by that time, you know, um, I got to be pretty dexterous with the deck. You know, the deck would be these slips of paper. And maybe one day, if you're interested, I can describe how we would manage that. But you know, not a terribly complicated skill, but you had to be fast and you had to be right. Because yeah. if you were wrong, somebody was eating it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so that's why when we get these breaks, I could always get a job because the full-time clerks, they wanted vacation. So they would just swap me in and and it worked out, but I, I think it was there for a, a couple of years off and on. And, and I, you know, I, I look back on some of those days and, um, you know, you're in, I'm in my early twenties, maybe 22, 23, maybe 21, you know, Cheryl and I were just, you know, spending a ton of time together thinking about all the, great things we were going to do and excited about our career and our lives together. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, the, the fortunate, the fortuitous thing, and I maybe we might want to think about concluding around here, but when we got out of graduate school, she's a year older than me, but she took a different uh, subject load. So we both, got out of graduate school the same year, which was, I think, 1983. We, we both came out with then relatively high salaries, which in Chicago, mm -hmm. you could live, you could live a real life on what we were making. And so we, you know, I mean, growing up, I had some issues, but once we got out of school, we, we hit the ground running pretty good, which, to me is one of the sad things I see today where, you know, for Cheryl and I to go to college for a semester or for a year, it might've been two grand. And then you got a job coming out. I mean, don't hold me to this, but I, I think I made 30 grand coming out of graduate school. Wow. Yeah. You know, and so now coming out of graduate school, kids are making 35 grand. With a quarter Debt. With a quarter million of student loan debt, which is not, which is bankruptcy proof. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, not my fault. I, I feel terrible about it. I, we can spend hours discussing who's to blame for that. 
but that wasn't our generation. Yeah. yeah. So um, I made the most of it. So. Credit with a smile. Credit with a smile. There you go. Well, enjoy your rain. I'm gonna go ride. I'm gonna go ride my bike. Oh wow, it looks dark out there. Is it raining? Is it raining up there? No. No, but you know that you know they say the toughest part of a rain ride is the first three pedal strokes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Some famous guy. Rule number five. All right, it's buddy. I'll see you, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow night. All right. Look forward to it. You Thanks, be well. Pal. All right. Take care. Bye.